and welcome to another episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast, fresh off episodes three and four of this wonderful final dance of the Jordan documentary. It's been a fantastic time, but we are going to be focusing on the other big sports event of the weekend, and that, of course, is the NFL Draft. Frank, what do you think of this year's virtual draft? Uh, I thought it was awesome, and I thought that the NFL and... ESPN handled the virtual aspect pretty well. It didn't seem like there was any uh, technical difficulties, which was a little bit surprising, but it was a welcome surprise. I just thought it was really entertaining to see all the players, you know, kind of confined in different environments. I thought it kind of brought more of a wholesome feel to the draft because just seeing the players with their families, it, it was kind of more sentimental than than just seeing them walk on stage. I thought we were reminded once again that uh, NFL Draft Weekend is truly one of the best spectacles in all of sports. It really is, and especially with the NFL Draft this year breaking a lot of the views record that the NFLs had already set for the draft, it'll be interesting to see them going along and seeing if they try and bring any of that like at-home atmosphere into future drafts. Maybe they'll try and be staying away from the pageantry that was supposed to be in the Bellagio Fountain this year. It is interesting, but definitely one of the better parts, I think, of this year's draft was, you know, you mentioned not a lot of technical difficulties, but just kind of like visual mishaps. I think our personal favorite has to be Bill Belichick, who uh, as somewhere in his house probably has a fortress where he stocks all of his information about all his players, but his camera was sadly only showing as a single chair and laptop somewhere in his dining room. We were treated, though, while he was descending into his Bill Belichick Lair, uh, we were treated to his dog in his place, which hey, made for great content during the draft. Any other highlights like that, Frank, that you uh, noticed in the draft? Well, yeah, the, that was hilarious. But um, I also thought that it was funny how Dave Gettleman was shown on screen wearing a mask for nearly the entire draft. Which, if you're listening to this episode and you listened to our last episode before the draft, I had briefly mentioned that I thought it would have been a good bet to place that somebody would be shown wearing a mask at some point in the draft. And that bet didn't exist as far as we were able to find, but I thought it would have been funny if that actually happened. And of course, it was Dave Gettleman, out of all people, who was wearing a mask. He was at the draft. He was in front of his computer by himself. So I don't understand why he needed to be wearing a mask. There was zero reason for him to do that whatsoever. So I thought that was funny. But Bill Belichick's dog sitting in the dining room was definitely, that takes the cake as as the funniest uh, the funniest moment that happened, I think. Uh, you know, whatever the puppy Belichick uh, name is, he definitely did a great job of drafting. Maybe not as good as some other teams. We are here to note some of our favorite winners and losers from this draft. And we're going to start off with uh, some birds, the Arizona Cardinals. Building off number one overall pick Kyler Murray last year, they had a fantastic draft to not only stock weapons around him, build up that defense, and most importantly, build up an offensive line to keep it protected. And Cliff Kingsbury and his luxurious mansion in which he lives uh, definitely managed to do that. Uh, so, Frank, uh, get us started with the Cardinals. Yeah, our unanimous winner of the 2020 draft. Well, real quick, you talk, You mentioned uh, Cliff Kingsbury. That was another uh, interesting moment from the draft is when they showed him uh, just lounging on his couch. But, I mean, his living room was insane. And he's only been a head coach for a year. Um, so he's definitely uh, taking advantage of that of that new salary. Um, I don't know much. if you saw, but people, someone literally made a Lego set of a Lego version of Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury sitting in that same living room. Like someone redesigned it. So that was pretty funny. But um, you how bored people are in this quarantine. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, we both agreed that the Cardinals had one of, if not the best drafts, and it starts in the first round where. Isaiah Simmons fell to their lap at number eight, and we both thought that they were going to pick an offensive tackle. But with Simmons somehow still on the board, I mean, that was a no-brainer. He's a Swiss Army knife, uh, top five player in this class easily uh, in terms of pure talent and value, and he's going to bring a lot to their defense. And then at pick number 72, they were somehow able to land Josh Jones, the offensive tackle, who I mocked to – the Dolphins in the first round at number 18, and a lot of other people had him as a first-round pick 
early second round pick at the latest. And yet somehow they were able to get him in the third round. So they passed on an offensive tackle at number eight and were still able to address that need later on with a starter caliber, starting caliber player in Josh Jones. And I also like their next pick of Lecky Fotu, the uh, talented defensive tackle out of Utah. Um, he's kind of a bit of more of a developmental player, but I think he has high upside and uh, getting him at 114th overall is a good value. So two great picks by the Cardinals and another solid one to round out their top three. And this is after, of course, they won the free agency period by trading for DeAndre Hopkins. So it's been a great offseason for the Cardinals so far. Getting Hopkins uh, in the offseason was definitely a great way to build a, build that offense, and especially Josh Jones, like you mentioned, we had him going in the first round, as most people had predicted him to be one of the top five, top six offensive linemen in this draft. Picking him up on day two, not to mention in the third round, is an absolute steal for the Cardinals. And I'm glad you mentioned um, Lecky, because not only did they get Isaiah Simmons to be a focal point of that defense, much like Honey Badger had been doing for them earlier in the decade, uh, Lucky Fotu out of Utah, Rashad Lawrence out of LSU, and Evan Weaver out of Cal are all fantastic picks to bolster that defense. Most notably, I think, in the sixth round, Evan Weaver out of Cal, who, if you watched him at all, he's a guy that looks like he's just trying to cut people's heads off. And anytime I think you get a guy like that with the right mentality and just needs a little bit work, um, in the sixth round is always a fantastic pick. So while they didn't have a lot of draft capital to spend, in their six picks, I think they hit a home run on almost every single one, given the positional value and their needs on the team. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I was just going to add that. Uh, I mean, I liked how you brought up um, what they did um, after their first three picks because those players that they added were certainly good value picks as well. And we know that they're going to have an explosive offense, but with the draft, they were really able to fortify a defense that now features Simmons. Uh, we mentioned Fotu, Weaver. And their returning players, or their incumbent players, I should say, talented as well. They have Patrick Peterson, uh, Chandler Jones, obviously the NFL sack leader, and Zach Allen, Buda Baker. So their their defense could shape up to be quite impressive as well. So I think the Cardinals, uh, just looking ahead, I think they're definitely a sleeper team in 2020. Yeah, in 2020 and beyond, that there's so much youth on that team, and this draft just keeps helping it grow and grow for future uh, future playoff runs. So talking about continual playoff success, we've actually got to talk about the Packers, a team that makes the playoffs year in, year out, driving on the back of their stalwart quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. But this year in the draft, we're finally going to have to ask the question, at the age that Brett Favre was when they drafted him, Aaron Rodgers, now, who's looking kind of like an old man with the bringing in of first-round pick, Jordan Love. And that Jordan Love pick in the first round was somehow one of their best picks. They flopped on so many picks from first, second, third round. They they just somehow couldn't hit a good one. I think, honestly, one of their best picks in the entire day might have been their last one with uh, Jonathan Garvin out of Miami. But we start here, obviously, with the first round pick, Jordan Love which last year when he can take when he took the team to the NFC Championship, and if he could have gotten some weapons and maybe if they had retooled the offense a little bit towards him, another NFC Championship run would have been in the books. But using the first-round pick on a quarterback, and then not only that, in the second round at pick 62, they picked A.J. Dillon out of Boston College, who's a phenomenal running back, but definitely does not fit the same timetable that Aaron Rodgers does. Does fit Jordan Loves, so it does look like you know, Rodgers might be kind of starting to get pushed out of Green Bay, which is an interesting story to kind of keep along the season. Um, and for the rest of their draft, the talent just wasn't really there. They got a lot of depth, notably on the offensive line with John Runyon out of Michigan, Jake Hansen out of Oregon, Stefan Sapensky out of Indiana, which are great offensive linemen to add to this offensive line. But none of them are really starting quality for a line that has lost David Bakhtiari and a lot of guards, uh, both to division rivals, Lions and Bears. So you're you're really wondering, how are they going to fill all these holes the Packers suddenly have when they kind of use their draft capital looking far into the future? Frank, what are your thoughts on the Packers draft this year? Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. They're in a position to win now, but they didn't make win now moves. And it's one thing to take a quarterback in the first round, but it's another thing to trade up for a quarterback when you really don't need one. And that's what they did. They jumped four spots to get Jordan Love. And 
the teams that they jumped in the order were not teams that were going to pick a quarterback before them. The Seahawks, the Ravens, neither of those teams were going to pick a quarterback. So I don't understand why they had to trade up to get Jordan Love. Maybe they had some intel that there was another team that was going to trade up to get him. But, I mean, you and I both had him slipping into the second round anyways. So I don't think he's a great quarterback prospect. He's definitely has a long way to go in terms of development. And you talked about how Rodgers is getting up there in age a little. And, yeah, he's had some injuries over the past couple of years. But I still think Rodgers has three to four years of high-level quarterback play left at the very least. And in that scenario, then you have Jordan Love just sitting on the bench for four years. And, I mean, that's fine for his development, obviously. And learning behind a guy like Rodgers is only going to be beneficial. but then you're going to be looking at Jordan Love nearing a contract extension or he's going to be nearing his second contract and he's basically going to be a rookie at that point because he's not going to have taken any offensive snaps um, until his third or fourth year. And if they are trying to push Rodgers out, I mean, this move is a good first step in doing that, but I just don't understand why. I don't understand the pick. I don't love the player or the – or the value at 26. And then after that, I mean, you talked about how they picked Jonathan Garvin with their last pick, the defensive end for Miami. That was really the only pick that I actually liked that they made. And they took AJ Dillon and then they picked Josiah DeGura with their second and third picks. But those are, that's a running back and a tight end. And those are two positions that they don't really need. They had clear needs at wide receiver, cornerback, offensive tackle, and they didn't really address any of those. And it just doesn't really make sense what they did. And it's unlike a Green Bay team that Luigi drafts fairly well, and they have an accomplished front office. So it's surprising that they're our uh, consensus biggest loser, but based on everything they did, I mean, that it really doesn't make any sense to me. I definitely agree with you, and it should be interesting. You know, maybe losing the guiding hand of Mike McCarthy has led that off uh, that front office astray. Um, especially, you know, they're going to be tough to keep up in this NFC North race that hasn't been as tight as it needed to be recently, especially with the faltering of the Lions and the Bears, but another team that has kept up with them toe-to-toe and in this draft knocked it out of the park is their divisional rivals, the Minnesota Vikings, who made an astounding 16 picks this year in the draft. So let's start with number one round with their first round pick, wide receiver out of LSU, Justin Jefferson. Now, with a pick number 22, that is just about the average value. We had mocked him at 20, but that's a fantastic replacement for Stefan Diggs, who's now, he's now lining up across the field from Adam Thielen. Um, who's, I mean, he's a catch magnet. And with Justin Jefferson able to stretch the field just like Diggs did, I think that Adam Thielen will continue to be having uh, such a good season as he was. I think one of the big concerns with one of the wide receivers they could bring is if they had gotten a guy like Jerry Judy or maybe even a guy like Levishka Chenault or Brandon Ayuk, um, they wouldn't have been able to get that groundbreaking speed um, that they need to get the top off to give Adam Thielen more space. But I think Justin Jefferson is a perfect complement to him. Uh, moving on to their second first-round pick, they actually traded back into the first round um, to get the 31st pick to pick Jeff Gladney, who, again, we had mocked much earlier than this. And as Frank had mentioned during our mock draft, the losing of Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes is a big hole that this defense is going to fill. And they used many of those 16 picks to try and fill up those holes, with Jeff Gladney being the number one. But they also got Josh Metellus to come play uh, from Michigan, Brian Cole, Cameron Densler, Harrison Hand, Trey Dye, Kenny Wilkes, all of those guys can easily play into coverage in a 4-3 system that has just played space fantastically against the pass. This is a team that has been building and compounding fantastic picks. And hopefully Kirk Cousins, you know, with his squeaky little voice, can continue a good run uh, in Minnesota along with all of these draft picks. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, my hot take for this, this draft class, I think with the faltering of the Packers and such a great draft in Minnesota, this might be the year that the NFC North reigns purple. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't be surprising at all. And that was good analysis on your part. I totally agree that uh, the Vikings took advantage of all the draft capital that they had. And I thought they definitely were 
one of the biggest winners out of draft weekend. Um, for my individual winner, I stayed in the NFC, uh, went to a different division though, and I chose the Carolina Panthers, who I also thought had a tremendous draft. And if there is one concern with the Panthers draft is that they they neglected the offensive side of the ball and they literally picked all defensive players. And anytime you do that, it's a risk. However, uh, new head coach Matt Rule is a defense. He has a defensive background, and they made it clear with this draft what kind of team they want to be. They want to be a hard-nosed, gritty team on that side of the ball, and they want to shut opponents out. And I liked all of almost all the picks that they made, starting with uh, Derek Brown at number seven overall, who you and I. We're both extremely high on it during the draft. I think he's a top three player in this class, just in terms of talent and value. And I think he's a perfect fit for Carolina's defensive line. Uh, they lost Gerald McCoy in the offseason, and it feels like they just need some juice up front. And Derek Brown's great run stuffer, great interior pass rusher. And then they picked one of our favorite players, um, Uter Gross Matos, a.k.a. Mr. Fetus Deletus, and he is going to delete a lot of plays for the Panthers on the defensive front alongside Derek Brown. He was a first-round talent, and they were able to get him at 38 overall, so they took advantage of a sliding prospect with a great name, and they snagged him. That's a great value for him there. And then they picked a trio of defensive backs, all of whom I was high on uh, in preparation for the draft. And they picked safety Jeremy Chin at number 64, cornerback Troy Pride at number 113. And then they picked safety Kenny Robinson at 152. And Kenny Robinson was one of my personal favorite players. And I think getting him at 152 is an absolute steal. He has an interesting background. He had some off the field issues at West Virginia and he was actually kicked out of that school for academic violation. And then he went to the XFL and he played for the St. Louis Battlehawks. And in just a few games of the XFL season, uh, he made a tremendous impact. He had 21 pass breakups and two interceptions. The Panthers needed some help up front and they needed some help in the secondary and they checked off all the boxes. And I think they're going to be an extremely well-balanced team. And if Matt rule can prove a, to, can prove to be a competent first-year head coach, and he can put some of the he can have some of these pieces gel together. I think the Panthers could surprise a lot of people in the talented NFC South division. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Kenny Robinson in that fifth round. Not only is he an XFL star, like you had mentioned, his fantastic stats that really shows that connection as we've brought up time and time again between the NFL and the XFL. Um, as the draft this year especially showed us that players that can kind of get over hardships and kind of own up to their own mistakes are the kind of players that grow up and develop into better players. And Robinson, who got caught uh, and expelled from the university, uh, from West Virginia University with academic fraud, uh, and has publicly renounced his mistake and has owned up to it. Um, he gives you everything you want. And when you can pick up a player that already knows what he's done and has the potential, great hands, great beat on the ball, uh, really can lay the wood anywhere in the middle of the park. He was fantastic in the XFL, already has pro pro experience. This is a great pick for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, and another thing that's uh, cool about his story is that from what I hear about his background, he wasn't he wasn't considering playing in the XFL uh, really until his mom was diagnosed with cancer, which is obviously tragic and extremely sad. And so that kind of motivated him to explore his other options and to go into the XFL to help his mom out financially, you know, pay for treatment, you know, just just really help her out in that way. And he was able to do that and further his professional career. So anytime you see a player just do a 180 and kind of turn his career path around and turn his personal life around, I mean, that's the kind of guy you want to root for. And I think the Panthers are getting great player in Robinson uh, on top of all the other good picks they made in the draft. Yeah, and um, Robinson, we're rooting for you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that you also like the pick. This, interestingly enough, wasn't one of the picks we had discussed before the draft, but one of my personal favorite players out of the XFL was really hey, we're on we're on the same page you know we're, we're on, on the same, same wavelength podcast it's it's hard to stop us when we're on a roll like this 
And uh, the role we take it to is going to be to the opposite sides. We just told you about our favorite teams personally, aside from the Cardinals, which was our unanimous pick. Um, we're going to take it to our, the losers of this year's draft. And I am going to start here with a little bit of a controversial one. While they may have had a good draft in some people's eyes, I think their first round pick was a little bit controversial. I specifically didn't like it. I know you think, I, I know that you may disagree with me, but I'm going here with the Philadelphia Eagles, who in the first round picked a wide receiver out of TCU, Jalen Rager. Now, I don't love Rager, and I think that, I mean, that's a personal judgment. And I think in such a deep wide receiver uh, draft, there there's a lot of room for you to think that certain players go overs. But I think that almost unanimously, if you talked to the end, uh, you could easily have seen that a guy like Justin Jefferson, who was available at 21, is, and I've already talked to as being a fantastic pick for the Vikings, would have been a much better pick here for the Eagles. Not to mention that they didn't look at their most glaring position that they've had a problem with in years, which is the cornerback position. Um, if you look at that team, uh, you, you start asking a lot of questions of who those cornerbacks are. Cornerback Jalen Mills has just officially moved over to to safety, so they're left with Darius Slay, who, you know, no bad words against Darius Slay, but their other starting corner is Sidney Jones, who has had continuous injury problems over his career, and an unproven rookie uh, like Nikhil Robbie Coleman is behind him. I just think that's a position that they had to have shored up, and using uh, that pick on Jalen Rager in the first round did not really solve a lot of problems, and in fact, I just think was bad value for what they were getting. Uh, and then we move on to maybe the craziest pick of the night. And, uh, you know, we made it very clear through our mock draft that we didn't love the QB potential of any of these players outside of Burrow. But Jalen Hurts, what? what what, are the Eagles thinking? I get that Carson Wentz gets hurt a lot and you want to have a guy in that replacement position. But using a second round pick, again, not dealing with positions of need holes you have in your team you're going to go out and get a backup quarterback you're betting on your star your starting player one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the nfl to get hurt and to you need for you to need this position i i just don't think it's it's a great pick and you keep looking down their draft and you know jack driscoll out of, out of auburn john tytower out of boise state they managed to pick up a few good players that dropped to them, but many of their picks were reaches. Sean Bradley at 196 was a player that very much was talked to be one of the better undrafted free agents, but the Eagles decided to take him in the sixth. Um, Prince Tega Wanagogo out of Auburn, who was an offensive lineman that was about the sixth man on Auburn's offensive line and somehow still got drafted. I don't really know what the Eagles front office was thinking. I know that personally, I think the Eagles could have done a lot better with the value and positions of some of their picks. Um, and that, you know, leaves them in a bad position for an NFC East race where the Cowboys, I think, had one of the best drafts. I didn't leave them put on my list, but I think a lot of our fans already know how I think of the Cowboys this year. Um, the Redskins had a good draft uh, getting Chase Young, and the Giants didn't fuck this one up. So the Eagles definitely come out, like the Packers, at the bottom of their division for the draft, and I don't see it as being a good one for the Eagles. Uh, Frank, thoughts? Yeah, no, I do actually agree with you for the most part. Um, I do like Rager. Uh, a lot as a player and for me he was my favorite receiver prospect outside of the top three or four guys but I think they had the opportunity to take Justin Jefferson right there and he was much more of a short bet than rigorous he's less of a of a developmental prospect and for what the Eagles need they just need a bona fide pass catcher someone who can come in and catch 70 to 80 balls right away and I'm not so sure Rager's that player at this point. I think he's more of a big play threat than Jefferson is, but he's also less refined in terms of route running and versatility. And they could have picked one of the many defensive backs that were still available, whether it be a Jeff Gladney, Xavier McKinney, uh, the list goes on and on. And they could have done that and then waited to pick a receiver with their second round pick because someone like Denzel Mims, out of Baylor was still available at 53 and just briefly touching on Jalen Hurts I mean you and I both like Hurts a lot as a player but it makes little no sense for the Eagles to invest a second round pick in Hurts when they just gave Carson Wentz who I love Carson Wentz and I know he has injury history but they just gave Wentz a massive contract extension so 
I saw a report from Bleacher Report over the weekend that they may plan to use Hertz and Wentz on the field at the same time in some sort of two quarterback set, but I just think that's a smokescreen. I don't think they're actually going to do that. But yeah, I mean, what what do you think about that? Do you think that's something that could could happen? What would that even look like? Because I mean, we saw the Ravens kind of try to do that a couple years ago with Joe Flacco and then Lamar Jackson, but Jalen Hurts is not the same athlete as Lamar Jackson, so you can't really use them in the same way. That's what I was thinking. I feel like a lot of times when we see two QB two QB sets, uh, one of the uh, one of them is a lot more athletic, and I don't know if the Wentz Hurts combination has the same like finesse to it as a Taysom Hill, Drew Brees. Joe Flacco, uh, Lamar Jackson, or even Lamar Jackson and RG3, which was probably the NFL's best uh, QB tandem this year. Not to, of course, mention how great our Baltimore Ravens team is once again, but, you know, we're great. Um, and so, yeah, I don't I don't think the, the Eagles could replicate that. And uh, I would love to see Doug Peterson try and cook something up in which he can get the best out of two quarterbacks. But so I, I don't I, I really do not like this Hurts pick uh, overall. Yeah, I agree with you there on the Hurts pick. Um, moving along, I had the Los Angeles Chargers as my individual biggest loser. And the Chargers were in a good spot with the sixth overall pick, and they had one pick in each of the remaining rounds. So they didn't have a ton of draft capital, but they kind of swung and missed here for me. They they took Justin Herbert with the sixth overall pick, a scenario that a lot of people foresaw coming. But like you and I were talking about in our mock draft, we didn't feel like Herbert was the right pick there at number six. And I felt that way leading up to the draft, and I feel that way now. Um, I don't love Herbert as a prospect. I felt like picking him there at number six is a classic case of looking at the position more so than the actual player. And they, I think they just saw two other quarterbacks go in the top five. So they felt like they had to pick Herbert. And I don't think they needed to. I think Tyrod Taylor is a more than capable starter. It sounds like the plan is for them to start Taylor anyways, at least to begin the season. If you're going to invest the six overall pick in a Herbert, I mean, you if you're going to invest the six overall pick in a quarterback, more often than not, that player is supposed to be ready from day one. And Herbert... Is a was a four year starter at Oregon, and yet he's still not ready to be a starter in the NFL. And I just think he's going to max out as a good backup and a below average starter. But still, I think picking him at number six when you have a player like Isaiah Simmons or a player like Derek Brown, two players that would have been tremendous fits on their defense. Why not take one of those players and and just get a quarterback later? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. And then they traded back into the first round, giving up their second and third round pick to move to number 23 overall and pick Kenneth Murray, the linebacker out of Oklahoma. And maybe, again, it's just personal bias on my part, but I didn't love Murray as a prospect all that much. I thought he was a, I thought he was a second round prospect. And he's talented and he has athleticism for sure. But there's flaws there. He's he's a flawed player. He lacks he lacks elite intangibles, and he struggles with processing and play recognition. And it showed on film way too often at Oklahoma. He was out of position. Uh, he took bad angles when he was trying to chase down ball carriers. He's not great in coverage, and I think he couldn't end up having a good statistical season for the Chargers. But stats are a little bloated when you're an inside linebacker because it's it's easy for that position to rack up a lot of tackles, but that doesn't necessarily translate into legitimate on-field value. And, and I think that giving up a second and third round pick for a player like Murray is just not good value at all, especially when that those second and third round picks were the only picks that they had in those rounds. So then they picked at 23 and they didn't pick again until round four with pick 112. So it's a huge gap and that's a huge time span in the draft where they missed out on adding more talent and adding quality players. And with their remaining four picks, they picked two wide receivers, a running back and a safety. So they didn't even necessarily fill needs that they had on their roster. And the running back, they picked Joshua Kelly out of UCLA. He's a fine player, but he wasn't even the best running back available. 
at the time. And they have Austin Eckler and have Justin Jackson. So you're adding another running back to the mix where you just missed out on the opportunity to add more defensive talent and offensive line talent. And then you just go ahead and draft a running back, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And they added two more receivers. Like I mentioned, they're already loaded at receiver. And the safety they added, uh, Alohi Gilman from Notre Dame, not a very well-received pick. And he was definitely not the best safety prospect available. So that was a little bit of a reach in the sixth round. So overall, I mean, you can slice it any way you want it, but the Chargers, who are moving to a new stadium, they have new jerseys. All of that's great, but this was not a good draft for them, um, at least in my eyes. I mean, if you disagree, please, I'm I'm curious for your thoughts. Uh, I don't disagree at all. Actually, one of the biggest debates we had while making our mock draft was where would Ken Murray go? Obviously, you didn't want him to go to the Ravens, but we both kind of agreed that he would be first-round talent. And seeing him go in the first round, I was quite happy. Seeing him go for the Chargers for a second and a third was absolutely ridiculous. A team that did all it could during the uh, during free agency to build up an offensive line to put over to put in front of whoever ends up at quarterback failed entirely to fill the one hole, the biggest hole it had left in replacing Russell Okung at left tackle. When you're paying one of the NFL's highest offensive line salaries to Mike Pouncey, Trey Turner, Brian Bulaga, and Dan Feeney, and four slamp off the bench. It is mind-boggling that they don't fill their final hole using that second or third pick. And I'm right with you there on the Joshua Kelly pick. They had better players available. And not only that, they could have gotten a better player than even the players that were available then using one of those picks for uh, Ken Murray, who, again, also could have easily been available with their second-round pick that they traded up for. Granted, they had to go up and get their man, but I don't know if he was worth all that, and I definitely don't think that the Chargers had a good draft, just like you. So uh, good uh, good call on that one. So moving away from the team perspective, any specific picks that you liked? I know we already mentioned quite a few picks that we enjoyed and quite a few that we didn't, but aside from those teams we mentioned, the Vikings, Panthers, and Cardinals, and uh, all of our losers, by the way, all drafted quarterbacks with one of their first two picks. Uh, the Packers with Love, Chargers with Herbert, and Eagles with Hertz. Really telling you something about this offensive uh, quarterback draft. Uh, so I'm assuming you're not going to be picking any quarterbacks here. Your favorite pick of the draft? Uh, one of my favorite picks was actually in the top five, and it was Andrew Thomas at number four to the Giants. Uh, immediately after this pick was made, if you were on your Twitter feed, if you were just online in general, Giants fans everywhere were upset at this pick, and casual fans were tearing into Dave Gettleman and tearing into the Giants as this was a reach, but I don't feel that way at all. I think Angie Thomas was the best overall tackle prospect, uh, for me at least, and tackle was their biggest need. So picking Angie Thomas here at number four, even though I think the reaction really stemmed from the lack of mock drafts that had Thomas going to the Giants at four. So it just caught people by surprise. And because of that, I think a lot of people just assume that it was a bad pick. But when you actually look at the pick itself and you look at the player and the value and how he fits into that system, it makes a lot of sense. And I would give this pick an A. I give it an A or A minus because Thomas is Thomas was the anchor for maybe the best offensive line in all of football at Georgia, one of the best offensive lines over the past two seasons, and he's going to translate to the NFL right away. He's a surefire pass protector. He's good in the run game, and they need to make an investment for Daniel Jones. They need to protect Daniel Jones, and I think Andrew Thomas at number four is a great pick for that. What do you think? I like Andrew Thomas, and I think that pick is really just a bit depending on where you rank all of those offensive tackle prospects. Obviously, a lot of people have worked going highest, but I'm right there with you. Andrew Thomas, who led that Georgia offensive line, he's a captain, he's a leader, he's a guy that knows how to get things done, and I think the Giants made a fantastic pick. And what do you say? I mean, Giants fans are going to boo whatever pick they make. Look at Christos Porzingis, look at jo- uh, Daniel Jones. If you're a GM in New York, you're going to get booed. It's just a part of the job. Also, if you're Roger Goodell, you're going to get booed. Also, Roger Goodell, but, you know, he's asking for it at this point, so... I don't know. Another guy that is asking for booze, though, um, 
is Jerry Jones, you know, the most notorious man to get booed in the NFL, sitting in his $250 million yacht during draft day? Did you catch that, that he was sitting in his yacht? I did. I couldn't figure out if he was sitting in a yacht or if he just had a really, really luxurious basement, but what a setup that was. What a setup for having one of the best drafts in the NFL. The Cowboys were nearly my pick for my favorite draft. My thoughts on the Cowboys have been made before. I think Mike McCarthy is a fantastic coach. I think Dak Prescott's in a great system. I think this is the year that the boys take it all the way. But putting that aside, their first pick, and their second pick also fantastic, but their first pick, CeeDee Lamb blew it out of the water. With the 17th pick in the first round, they got maybe the best wide receiver off the board. He was the third one taken off after Ruggs and G had already come off. Um, and he brings uh, athleticism, speed, elite route running, brutal physicality on the outsides, very similar to the man he's lining up from, Amari Cooper. And I think, honestly, the combination of C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper has already vaunted the Cowboys passing game into the top five, I would even say, of offensive weapons uh, between them and Zeke. The Cowboys are just loaded, and making this pick makes you know the rich get richer. A lot of people could be saying that there could have been other position they could have healed, but C.D. Lamb is one of those players that can change a game with a single catch and a single move, and uh, that's what you need when you're the America's team. So Jerry Jones, well done. Maybe the yacht just makes him a better. Also love Trayvon Diggs. Mentioned that with their second pick, but we'll talk about that another day. Yeah, and I mean, I would just ask you, do you think that between CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup, do the Cowboys definitively have the best wide receiver trio in the NFL? And if not, who who else comes close? Because that is a loaded wide receiver room. Yeah, so I think they're definitely still top 10, uh, top five, as I mentioned. I think they're right up there with Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, um, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin. They're, they're definitely contending for the top because they have that physical skill they have that route running ability i think each player brings their own unique spin to the game and that's what you need to have a very diverse group of players and the talent the talent is there i think the cowboys this year have all they need to go on a deep deep run and uh lamb is only gonna make that easier yeah i mean you're already talking about I mean, we're already talking about Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb being one of the best wide receiver duos, and CeeDee Lamb has yet to take an NFL snap. So that tells you all that you need to know about how good of a player he is. Uh, For me, another pick that I liked especially, and it pains me to say this because it was made by the Cleveland Browns, who I'm not a huge fan of, uh, they snagged Grant Delpit, the safety from LSU, with the number 44th overall pick. Um, I've spoke highly of Delpit on this podcast before. I thought he was the best safety prospect in this class. And for some reason, uh, he slid into the second round and I didn't think that was going to happen. I thought he was a first round talent. Uh, I thought he was a top 25 borderline top 20 talent, honestly, but obviously GMs did not agree with me and the Browns were able to get him with the 44th pick, which is tremendous value. As I just mentioned. In 2018, he was a consensus first-team All-American, and this past season, he won the award for being the top defensive back in all of college football. So he has the accolades. He has the skill in the back end as a free-ranging, single-high safety who can make plays on the ball, uh, a la Earl Thomas. Poor man's Earl Thomas is where I think he is what I think he profiles as, and that would be a tremendous career. And I think in the short term, in the long term, he's going to have a great impact, a great positive impact for the Browns, who could use some help in their secondary. So great pick by them. Yeah, that is a fantastic pick for the Browns, who, you know, secondary help is always a good uh, thing for the fast-flying AFC North. Another uh, pick that I thoroughly enjoyed was a pick from the AFC East. And that would be A.J. Epineza out of Iowa for the Buffalo Bills at number 57. Um, the Bills, who are a team that fundamentally has built across that defensive line, uh, from Marcel Darius to Kyle Williams, the team has always had one of those rock-solid guys, either at D-end or D-tackle. And I think that A.J. Epineza is uh, going to continue joining in that long tradition. Uh, playing next to Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, another pair of guys that have been in Buffalo forever. Um, and last year, lottery pick Ed Oliver, 
that offensive line, uh, that that defensive line continues to get better. And I love the value in the second round. Epineza easily could have been a first rounder and getting him essentially as a third round pick um, was fantastic work by the Bills front office. You know, as Ravens fans, I'm sure we're a little mad. The Ravens picked one pick later and would have loved Epineza's services. But uh, I'm really touting him to go and uh, be a huge star on that Bills defensive line. Yeah, and I mean, the only reason that we can really assume that he slid that far was because he didn't do so hot at the combine. But, you know, whether it be Orlando Brown Jr. a couple years ago or other players, there's a lot of cases where a player underperforms at the combine and teams overreact to that. And the player ends up having a great career anyways and ends up proving the doubters wrong. And I think Ebeneza, like you said, I think he's going to be the latest case of that development. Um, But Rotom, we've talked about two players that we each like. Is there any player that you didn't think was a good pick? Uh, Yeah, you know, I'm glad you asked. Um, We had been already giving all this praise, and I think it's time to really uh, throw some more shade, as you were with the Chargers. And I'm directing mine towards the Dolphins staying in the AFC East. And I think the Dolphins actually had a pretty solid draft overall. Uh, Obviously, with the number five pick, they took Tua. Uh, Number 18, they took Austin Jackson, which I do think was a reach, but uh, he will play very well next to Tua in a very run-heavy offense, so why not? But I'm specifically talking about their third first-rounder, number 30, Noah Igbenogena. Igbenogena. Igben... whatever. Um, cornerback out of Auburn. The Dolphins have the two highest-paid cornerbacks in the league. There was no need for this pick. I would have been blown away if the if the Dolphins used a pick on a cornerback in the first five rounds. Nonetheless, the 30th pick. This guy was not seven top eight cornerback in this draft, and somehow he was the 30th pick, now playing behind Xavier Howard and uh, Byron Jones, who, again, the top two highest paid cornerbacks in this league. Those guys should not be off the field unless they're if they're going to continue proving their worth, and this pick makes absolutely no sense. It is the opposite of drafting for need. It is the opposite of drafting for value. It is the opposite of drafting for positional replacement. There was no need. There was no warrant. A terrible pick overall. What do you think about Noah Igben? No, whatever his last name is. Well, I just think it's funny that uh, no Tua name. And Tua ended up having the second hardest last name to pronounce on the Dolphins from the Dolphins rookie class, which you never would have guessed. And that would have been something good to bet on if that actually existed. Um, But you did say uh, you mentioned how there was no warrant for this pick. And this is the kind of pick where you would put a warrant out for the GM's arrest. And if it weren't for the Dolphins having a pretty solid draft outside of this pick, uh, that would certainly be something that fans would be exploring. Um, for me, I'm going to stick here with another cornerback that was taken in the first round. Uh, I'll be at, uh, earlier in the first round at number 19 overall, the Raiders selected Mr. Damon Arnett, the cornerback out of Ohio state, uh, otherwise known as not Jeff Okuda. And a lot of people, including myself immediately Google searched this player when he was taken. Uh, I knew who he was. A little bit, but I was very surprised that he was taken, let alone the first round, but especially at number 19 overall. Um, This draft class was loaded with defensive backs, and there was plenty of talented cornerbacks. And like the player you mentioned, uh, Noah, first name, last name, there was so many other good cornerbacks on the board. And if the Raiders did want to take a cornerback, which is fine because that was a big need for them, why not take Jeff Gladney or why not take Diggs or Christian Fulton or anybody but Damon Arnett, who he's a developmental player. And yeah, he's solid in man coverage, but there's a reason that this pick has been so, this pick was a, was a surprise to everyone. And there's a reason that this pick has not been well received among the fans, among draft experts, uh, you name it. Everyone is in agreement that this was a reach and the Raiders can't really afford to reach with where they are right now, especially at a position like cornerback. So it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, I definitely think that that was not one of their positions of need, much like the Dolphins. 
there's no reason to jam things that don't need to be jammed in. You know, that you've got holes in the field. And even if you reach a little bit, you know, the picks like um, picks like the aforementioned Austin Jackson, you know, that's that's an understandable reach. You know, if you've got a player within your sets that you like and think will fit your scheme, yeah, sure, getting them 10 picks ahead of their projected value is a lot better than getting a player that in a position where you don't need the help 30 picks ahead of their projected value. Not a good pick. Not a good look for either the Dolphins or the Raiders. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, we could go on and on about uh about picks, about instances where teams reach for players in this draft because there was quite a few. But um, you know, Rodham, a little birdie told me that uh, we're going to shift gears here and talk about some odds. Is that right? In case any of you guys didn't remember, we are a, a bet. Um, I know we haven't been spending any odds at you. Uh, but both of us have been mostly playing this esports games um, and not doing well. So we're kind of trying to stay in our lane here with uh, Rookie of the Year odds. Obviously, after seeing where all these players are going and their projected starting ability, um, you know, we'll start out on the offensive side with number one overall pick Burrow uh, at plus 250 for the Rookie of the Year offensive award, uh, Tua uh, at plus 800 for the Dolphins. Uh, and then the first running back off the board, DeAndre Swift, at plus 900. Now, those are the three odds-on favorites. Uh, personally, of those three and of any of the remaining players, are there any ones that you're looking at that uh, you know you might want to encourage the followers to take a look at? Yeah, well, I think Burrow at plus 250 is definitely the, the best overall bet, all things considered. But looking past Burrow... I know you're high on Tua's chances, and at plus 800, it's a that's a decent number. But for me, it's just Tua is there's too much risk involved for me to place my money that way because I don't I'm not confident that Tua is going to one begin the season as the starter necessarily, and two if he does, I just think there's too much injury risk involved. I I don't love the Dolphins' offensive line. I know obviously they made an investment there with Austin Jackson. But I'm not confident enough in their offensive line to keep Tua upright, and I'm also not confident enough in Tua's ability to himself, you know, make smart decisions in terms of not taking hits, in terms of, you know, staying in the pocket and avoiding defenders. I think that's something he struggled with at Alabama, and I think, you know, he needs time to develop the sort of intangibles uh, to avoid taking big hits. And I think that only comes with experience. And, and yeah, I mean, some injuries are fluky, but for me, betting on Tua, is, it could pay off. Um, and I know that's the direction that you're going to go, but it's too risky for me. But looking further down the list, I don't love either of the running backs, DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor, uh, both fine players, but both players are entering a situation where they're going to be the number two back. Uh, Swift is going to be behind on Johnson, and Taylor will project to fill in behind Marlon Mack in Indianapolis. And then with Jerry Judy, who who we both had as wide receiver one, um, I don't necessarily love plus 1,300, even though he's obviously a talented player. Uh, I'm just not that high on Drew Locke in Denver, and Judy is playing alongside Cortland Sutton, who's going to take some targets away. And for me, one of the sneaky bets you can place for offensive rookie of the year, and you know I love this player, is Mr. Henry Ruggs, who is plus 1,800, which is a huge number. And Ruggs was the first receiver taken off the board which I called could happen if you had been listening to this podcast. I told you that that was a realistic possibility, and it happened. And the Raiders are a team that loves speed. Year after year, they prioritize speed in their draft class, and they draft the fastest players. And Ruggs is the fastest receiver in this class, and he's going to step in in Oakland as the number one receiver alongside Tyrell Williams. But he's going to be the big play threat. He's going to be their home run hitter. And for a quarterback like Derek Carr, who this is a make-or-break year for Derek Carr, and I think that him and Ruggs are really going to develop a strong connection. And a lot of what goes in the offensive rookie of the year is just simply highlight plays, making memorable plays that stick in people's minds. And I think for Ruggs, that's not going to be a problem at all. I think he's going to be 
week in and week out, he's going to be popping up on social media consistently. And I think he could end up approaching 800 to 1,000 receiving yards. And I think he's going to be good for a decent amount of touchdown production as well. So plus 1,800. I love that number for Henry Ruggs. But uh, Joe Burrow at plus 250, definitely the safer bet out of this group. Now, I, I personally think from your little argument that uh, not only am I buying a little bit more into Henry Ruggs, but I think I'm a little bit I'm buying a little bit more into Tua personally. Uh, first with the Ruggs, I think since 1995, only four players have won Rookie of the Year from the wide receiver position, and they're all absolute athletes. Uh, obviously, 98, Randy Moss, 2003, Anquan Bolden for the Cardinals, uh, a very forgotten season for an incredible player. Percy Harvin, 2009, absolute freak from the position. And uh, Odell Beckham, uh, 2014, you know, crazy for the New York Giants. And Ruggs fits that same kind of billing of game-changing potential to make crazy plays, like you said. It's kind of, it's Rookie of the Year is a much more popularity race of who gets on ESPN night in, night out. And while you're right, Ruggs is the kind of guy that does that. He fits with that Odell, Percy Harvin, Randy Moss type frame. Let me tell you about a guy who showed up on ESPN for three years straight playing quarterback for Alabama. That's right, Tua Tugvaloa at plus 800 is the best bet here. Look at the other quarterbacks that have won. Kyler Murray last year, Dak Prescott a few years before that, RG3, Cam Newton. I mean, he's he fits that same kind of billing, and for a Dolphins team that doesn't have a lot of other playmakers, and now a pretty solid defense, Tua should have a lot of the ball in his hands. And while you're right, he does have a lot of kinks to work out, you know? When uh, Jameis Winston was on uh, ESPN nightly and he was throwing about as many picks as he was touchdowns, even if Tui ends, if, even if Tui, even if Tui ends up like that, um, his numbers will still be able to speak for themselves, I think, from a quarterback position better than they will for rugs at the wide receiver position. And I agree with you. If you're going for the sneakiest, best profit one, rugs is a fantastic pick. But if you're looking to win some money uh, and a little bit sure bet, two is the way to go. Yeah, and I get what you're saying, and I like Tua as a player, but uh, we'll see what Mr. Fitzmagic has to say about that because uh, he is QB1 in Miami until further notice, and I don't care what anyone says because Fitzmagic will never Fitzmagic will never go away, and Fitzmagic will never die. Well, you know, just uh, call the Eagles and talk to Jalen Hurts about uh, what being number one quarterback in front of Tua Tuivalua does. Uh, just saying. And with that, we're going to swing over to the defensive side of the ball. The harder to predict of the two awards, we're going to obviously start with the number two overall pick, uh, Chase Young. Washington Redskins with plus 400. The next defensive player picked, Isaiah Simmons at plus 950. And finally, a player that I like picked number 54, surprisingly, AJ Epinesa, plus 1300, defensive rookie of the year. Uh, Frank, you want to start us off again? Yeah, um, it's no surprise that Chase Young is the odds-on favorite. There's a reason he was picked second overall. And I think he definitely has a great shot to be the defensive rookie of the year at the end of the season. Uh, he's going to end up getting double-digit sacks, or at least getting very close to it for a Redskins defense that, while they do have a, de- a good amount of talent on the defensive line, uh, Chase Young is just a different breed. He's going to be a- an every-down player for them. And he's going to do amazing things. Um, looking past him, though, I do like Isaiah Simmons at plus 950. And it's surprising to me that Tua is plus 800 and Simmons is plus 950. Because I actually think that Simmons has just as good of a chance as winning, if not just as good of a chance, very close to that of winning defensive rookie of the year compared to Tua winning offensive rookie of the year. Because Simmons, we've talked about, is an all-around player. A, Sw- a true Swiss Army knife in every sense of the word. The Cardinals are going to be able to line him up wherever they see fit, and he's going to make plays. He's going to end up with a boatload of tackles. He's going to get his hands on at least an interception or two. Uh, I would expect four to six sacks maybe, as well as a couple fumble recoveries. So Simmons' versatility in his projected stat his projected stat line, I think he's going to have a great chance as well, plus 950. Um, Epineza, Patrick Queen, uh, Jeff Okuda, those are decent options, but they definitely pale in comparison to the top two and Chase Young and Simmons. Uh, one player who I'm not sure if you mentioned 
who I talked about uh, earlier in the podcast, is Mr. Derek Brown with the Panthers. He is all the way down at plus 2,500. And I think a lot of that has to do with the position he plays. You know, obviously defensive tackle is not nearly as flashy as edge rusher or linebacker or safety and so on. But at plus 2,500, Derek Brown, that is a that is a very enticing bet for me at least. And I'm interested to see what you have to say about it because Derek Brown, he's a tremendous player and he's a tremendous athlete for his size. And he's stepping into a fruitful role in Matt Rule's defense at the defensive tackle spot. I think he's going to end up getting a decent amount of sacks. He's going to get tackles. And I think if people are willing to look past the box score and look at true on-field value and what he and what these players mean to their defense, then I think Derek Brown at plus 2,500 could end up being a sneaky good bet. Another great uh, find for you for sneaky find, and I actually think that the Defensive Rookie of the Year is notably more of an award that is about team success. I mean, going back for the last 10 years, uh, most players selected are kind of the face of a new wave of defense, so to speak. Uh, Von Miller for the Broncos in 2011 really ushered in that Orange Crush two-part, uh, 2.0. Uh, Luke Kuechly in 2012 was Carolina's Super Bowl-winning defense face. Uh, 2014, Aaron Donald, face of the St. Louis Rams as they led in the Super Bowl. A lot of rookie, the defensive rookies of the year are the face of a brand-new defense. And with that in mind, I'm actually going to agree with you and Isaiah Simmons, who could really be changing uh, the Cardinals' path uh, leading that defense in the same way that the Honey Badger did. Downtown D. Brown um, will be a big part of Matt Rule's uh, defense, and especially with him being a defensive coordinator. I really love the connection, but a cornerback that I actually might be, th- that I think might be a little bit underrated is going to be Jeff Okuda. Obviously, the number three overall pick of the draft isn't really underrated entirely, but if following my pathway of fakes of a new defense, uh, Matt Patricia's Lions are picking up Jamie Collins. Jerron Curse, Tony McRae, Danny Shelton, Desmond Trufant, and Nick Williams in the free agency. Um, with Okuda replacing Derry uh, Slay, if the Lions have a good season, stay even 9-7, and seven, I feel like Okuda could take a lot of that, uh, that credit and lead himself into this award. So I'm actually tempted to not even consider Young here. I think Simmons... Okuda and Brown are really the faces of their franchise on the defensive side, much like Darius Leonard last year representing the Colts. So, yeah, uh, I'm like Simmons at 950 with a slight shade at Okuda at plus 210. Yeah, and I like that you brought up Okuda because I looked past him briefly, but there is some precedence in a cornerback winning this award uh, recently, actually. I mean, in 2017, Marshawn Lattimore, another Ohio State product, he won Defense Rookie of the Year for the Saints. And then back in 2015, uh, Marcus Peters, who was then on the Chiefs at the time, he actually won the award as well. So in the past five years, there's been two cornerbacks who have won the award. And Okuda could be the next in line. But it sounds like we're both in agreement with Simmons at plus 950 being the best odds on bet if you're looking for a non-Chase Young option. A little uh, trivia for the uh, fans. Frank, do you know who the last cornerback before that to win defensive rookie of the year was? Hmm. Let me think. Was it? How long ago was it? Was it in this decade? Well before Marcus (laughs) Peters won uh, the award in 2015, Charles Woodson, the Michigan Mm. member of the Oakland Raiders, was the last cornerback to win. We went almost a solid 17 years without seeing a guy win the award. So there is a little bit of precedence that recently people are accepting a cornerback, but after that, it's getting a little slim pickings. But yeah, definitely a great pick. And uh, an overall great draft uh, with our front three, Burrow, Young, and Okuda. Uh, definitely a little bit surprising us. We're sad to see not Tua with a trade. But, uh, you know, 2020 has its highlights, and this draft was one of them. Yep, for for sure. And these odds are, you know, they're going to change as the offseason goes along. So we'll definitely be having similar discussions to this one in the near future. So uh, it's an exciting time um, if you're an NFL fan. Yeah, and if you are an NFL fan looking to bet on these things, keep it posted and listen to our podcast as we continue to, to debate uh, the worthfulness of these players that we have yet to see play on an NFL field. 
Uh, and if you're interested in that, uh, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at PlayItPod. You can follow me at Rodham Kaufman. And Frank, where can listeners find you? You can find me at FrankJP0. Yeah, so keep it posted to our Twitter. Watch out for us talking and sending the latest memes about The Last Dance and our favorite Dennis Rodman hair colors. Uh, my personal <laughs> favorite uh, was pink, uh, but some of the tiger stripes were also good. Frank, thoughts on Dennis Rodman hair colors? Um, I think Dennis Rodman should be the successor to Kim Jong-un in North Korea. All hair. All hail, Chairman Rodman. And that's that. All hail. From the Planet as Les podcast. Wash your nasty hands. Please, before you go, do not inject yourself with Lysol or any disinfectant of any kind. 